6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Job, chapters 6 through 14. The tabernacles of robbers prosper, and they that provoke God are secure, into whose hand God bringeth abundantly. You know, we say, look around you, guy. Idolaters prosper. Life testifies that you're wrong. Nature also confirms that God deals as he pleases. See, on the one hand, the scripture is true. The scripture says you, you, you reap what you sow. And there's a way that's absolutely true as a principle. At the same time, you can look around and find people who, uh, you know, that are really gross, that are prospering. Why do the wicked prosper is the part of the question here. And nature also confirms what, uh, that God deals as he, God deals as he pleases. Verse 7. But ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee the fowls of the air, and they shall te- tell thee, or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee. The fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? In whose hand is the soul of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind? Doth not the ear try words, and the mouth taste his meat? With the ancient is wisdom, and the length of days understanding. What Job's saying also, in effect, he's saying that he understands God as fully as they do. He's just admitting there's a lot that he doesn't understand. On top of that. Verse 13. With him is wisdom and strength, and he hath counsel and understanding. Behold, he breaketh down and cannot be built again. He shutteth up a man, and there shall be no opening. Behold, he withholdeth the waters, and they dry up. He sendeth them out, and they overturn the earth. With him is strength and wisdom, and deceiveth, and the deceiver are his. He leadeth counselors away, spoiled, and maketh the judges fools. And he looseth the bond of kings, and he girdeth their loins with a girdle. He leadeth princes away spoiled, and overthroweth the mighty. He removeth away the speech of the trusty, and taketh away the understanding of the aged. He poured contempt upon princes, and weakened the strength of the mighty. He discovered the deep things out of the darkness, and bringeth out to light the shadow of death. He increased the nations and destroyeth them. He enlargeth the nations and straightened them up again. And he straight, he taketh away the heart of the chief of the people of the earth and caused them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. And they, they grope in the dark without light. And he maketh them to stagger like a drunken man. And he continues in chapter 13. And lo, mine eye hath seen all this. Mine ear hath heard it and understood it. What ye know, the same do I know also. I am not inferior to you. Surely I would speak to the Almighty and I desire to reason with God. But ye are forgers of lies. Ye are all physicians of no value. That ye, that ye would altogether hold your peace, that it should be your wisdom. What he's saying is their silence would have helped them more than their, their words. <laughs> the, uh, verse 6. Have now my reasoning and hearken to my pleadings of my lips. Oh, excuse me. Hear now my reasoning and hearken to the pleadings of my lips. Will ye speak wickedly for God and talk deceitfully, deceitfully for him? Will ye accept his person? Will ye contend for God? Is it good that he should search you out? Or as one man mocketh another, do ye so mock, mock him? He will surely reprove you, reprove you if you, uh, if ye do secretly accept persons. Shall not his excellency make you afraid and is dreadful upon you? Your remembrances are like unto ashes and your bodies to bodies of clay. 
saying if God judges him, they're going to judge him them also. He says, leave me alone so that I can come before God myself. And in fact, what he's going to build up here. He says, hold your peace and let me alone, that I may speak, that I, and let him, let come on me what will. Wherefore do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in mine hand? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. By the way, this is probably one of the most famous passages in Job. That though he slay me, yet will I trust him. But that's not quite what it says, actually. <laughs> in the Hebrew. It says, Behold, he will slay me, I will have no hope, yet I will defend my ways to his face, is what is, is one rendering of the Hebrew. We're not, see, he's not, Job's not worried God needs him yet. He will be later, but he's not there yet. Verse 16. He also shall be my salvation, for an hypocrite shall not come before him. Hear diligently my speech and my declaration with your ears. Behold, I have ordered my cause. I know that I shall be justified. Who is he that will plead with me? For now, if I hold my tongue, I shall give up the ghost. He's in effect continuing to say these comforters should stop arguing and let him, uh, uh, he would, they would help him more by their silence. And they're so rigid in their theology and so blind to the dimensions of God that they're just increasing the torment of this poor man. See, they don't understand that God is also merciful. They don't understand that God has much more, many more dimensions than they, than they have allowed for in their little pack, in their neat little boxes. And boy, is that true today. Even in theology, the theological positions we put ourselves in. We need to learn from their example, so to speak, a negative example, and be extremely careful of our approach in the suffering of others. Romans 12, 15 says, we should weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. That's not what they're doing here. Now from here through the chapter 14, Job's going to now present his case that he's prepared before God. C.S. Lewis pointed out that uh, they that to argue with God is to argue the very power that makes it possible to argue at all. <laughs> and Job knows this, and he must come before God, uh, he must have mercy from God before he can even stand before him. He's going to make two requests here. First, that God will, that, that God will have the pain and anguish uh, relieved so he, that he does not have to speak out in constant torment. And the second thing is God will veil his presence so that he will not be terrified by the awesomeness of a, of a mighty God. One of the things throughout all of Job's confusion, through all his, his frustration at not understanding what's going on, he never loses sight of the, magn- the, the uh, magnificence of God in all of this. He never loses his consciousness of the character of God. He always retains a vivid sense of his majesty. It's interesting... Uh, I had a, a, a chance to preview the, man, the manuscript of uh, Dave Hunt's latest book. He was anxious to get my endorsement, which I did give it, incidentally. His book is called, What Love Is This? Subtitle, Calvinism's Misrepresentation of the Character of God. And it's interesting how in so many of these theological debates, people can unknowingly impugn the, the, majesty, the character and majesty of God. He's much bigger than our little theological boxes will contain. And we need to be careful, we need to be careful of that. Like in anything, balance is the key. Anyway, verse 20. Only do, only do, he's speaking to God now. Only do not two things unto me. Then will I not hide myself from thee. Withdraw thine hand far from me and let not thy dread make me afraid. Then call thou and I will answer and let the, and let me speak and answer thou me. So he's crying for knowledge. 
And he needs more information before he can go on. Verse 23, How many are mine iniquities and sins? Make me to know my transgression and my sin. You know, in any court of law, the prisoner is entitled to know the charges that are against him. Job feels as if he's being punished for something he doesn't know what, what for. His sins he's confessed and sacrificed. So, that, you know, he's, he's complied with as he understands he's supposed to do. And, and God even, God has exonerated him right up front, even before Satan. It's not that there is sin here. See, we have the benefit of God's own, and, and Satan's both, their assessment of Job. Job doesn't know that, but we know that from chapter 1. So that isn't the issue, and yet that's the presumption of his comforters. It's also Job himself falling into that trap. Verse 24. Wherefore, wherefore hidest thou thy face, and holdest me for thine enemy? Will thou break a leaf driven to and fro? Will thou pursue the dry stubble? For thou writest bitter things against me, and makest me to possess the iniquities of my youth. Thou puttest my feet also in the stocks, and lookest narrowly into all my paths. Thou settest a print upon the heels of my feet. And he is a rotten thing, consumeth as a garment that is, that is moth-eaten. See, the only thing that encouraged Job that this might be dealing with is the sins of his past. Despite the fact, that, of course, he's offered sacrifices for all of them according to God's program, as he understood it. Okay, we get to the, uh, chapter 14. Now he's going to, here he's going to primarily emphasize the helplessness and hopelessness, both. The helplessness and the hopelessness of man before God. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth as a shadow and continueth not. He Dost thou open thine eyes upon such a one and bringest me into judgment with thee? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds so that he cannot pass. Turn from him that he may rest till he, he, he shall accomplish as a hireling his day. For there's a hope of a tree if it be cut down that it will sprout again. And that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stalk thereof die in the ground, yea, though the scent of water, it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. But man dieth and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? As the waters fall from the sea, fail from the sea, and the flood decayeth and dryeth up, so man lieth down and riseth not, till the heavens be no more, and they shall not awake, nor be raised out of their sleep. This is just his eloquent articulation of his pessimism. Verse 13, Oh, that thou wouldest hide me in the grave, that thou wouldest keep me secret until thy wrath be past, that thou wouldest appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man die, shall he live again? Shall all the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come? See, the longings of his heart are to be free of guilt. That's really what the root of all this is. But this whole idea that you know, would you keep me in secret till your wrath be passed. Now he's speaking individually here, but I want to just pause here and take a quick peek at Isaiah chapter 26. It is one of the dictums of modern theology that the rapture is not mentioned in the Old Testament. And uh, while that may be strictly true in one sense, I want to share with you a very, very interesting um, passage in Isaiah 26, starting at verse 19, where God says to Isaiah, in effect, Thy dead men shall live, together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out her dead. Notice verse 20, Isaiah 26, 20. Come, my people... Enter thou into thy chambers, 
and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth also shall disclose her blood, and shall no more cover her slain. There's a veiled hint behind these verses that might be the rapture. If you go to go to John 14, where he says, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And so on. It's interesting. He says, Come, my people, enter thou into whose chambers? Your chambers. And shut thy doors about thee, and hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation is past. Now, this is this this could be just an echo of uh, what Job's saying here individually. Hide me in the grave, thou wouldst keep me secret, until thy wrath be past. That thou wouldest appoint me a set time and remember me. Interesting. And if, in verse 14, in, in Job, if a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my point of time will I wait till my change come. Now don't, don't take from this expression of um, pessimism that Job is fatalistic, that he thinks death is the end of it. Because one of the most phenomenal passages in the Old Testament will occur in Job chapter 19. And I was going to wait until we get there, but I can't. I want to show you what he says in Job 19, starting at verse 25. This is Job, the oldest book in the Bible. You think this was in the New Testament. Hear it carefully. Job speaking, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at that latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh... Shall I see God? Notice that in my flesh I shall see God. Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my heart be consumed within me. And he goes on. One of the most incredible declarations of the resurrection body is by Job. So don't be confused by that. Anyway, get get back to Job 14 here. Pick it up about verse 15. Thou shalt call, and I will answer thee. Thou wilt have a desire to the work of thine hands. For now thou remembers, uh, now numbers my steps. Dost thou not watch over my sin? My transgression is sealed up in a bag, and thou sowest up mine iniquity. Surely the mountain falling cometh to naught, and the rock is removed out of his place. The waters wear stones. Thou washest away the things which grew out of the dust of the earth, and thou destroyest the hope of man. Thou prevailest forever against him, and he passeth, and thou changest his countenance, and sendest him away, and his sons come to honor, and he knoweth it not. They are brought low, but he perceiveth not of them. But his flesh shall upon him, uh, but his flesh upon him shall have pain, and his soul within him shall mourn. Well, <laughs> this ends uh, round one of the discourses between Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar and Job. Now they're going to go through this uh, two more times. And we'll go, we'll we'll skim through those next time, but the the the, the uh, uh, as we we'll go through, we'll try to we won't try to we won't obviously we're, we'll do like we did here. We're just going to go over the high spots. We get the flavor of it, but you'll discover that there's nothing you can exactly attack that they're saying is wrong, and yet the composite of what they're saying is wrong. But the good news and the fun part is that uh, God Himself. He's going to jump in and answer for Job with a lot of surprises. Uh, he will have a science quiz that's in chapter 38 and on. It's kind of fun. But by the way, there's another mystery in the book of Job. And we won't take it next time. We'll take it time after next. 
Because we have these three characters, Eliphaz, um, Bildad, and Zophar, that are just bad news. They're these, uh, they're, 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 they're the <laughs> ancient counterpart of the Pharisees, perhaps. They're very, um, rigid in their theology. They've got the glib answers for Job's problem. Obviously, Job's in all this pain. He must have really sinned. They have no grasp, but there must be much broader purposes at foot. But there's a fourth guy that shows up that's a mystery man. A guy by the name of Elihu. And he's a younger guy. And uh, he's a different kind of guy. And commentators are not sure what to make of him. And I'll deal with that when we get there in more depth. But I want just to alert you as you read ahead and get a flavor of this. Elihu is a guy to pay attention to. He actually has about, I think, uh, four or five chapters, uh, or six maybe, um, of his discussion. When God then jumps in, God rebukes these three guys we've been reading about. Yeah, they don't know what they're talking about. It's basically what God, God nails them. Strangely though, I want to put you alert, he doesn't criticize Elihu. And that raises all kinds of questions. But, uh, we're going to, and we get into the God's rebuttal to Job, get into a lot of subjects, not the least of which everybody says, you know, what about dinosaurs? They're in the Bible. He says a great deal about dinosaurs, both the aquatic kind and the land kind. We're going to discover some things about dinosaurs that you will never learn in any museum exhibit. There's a, there are dinosaurs, there's discussions of the dinosaurs in the scripture that will tell you something about dinosaurs that they have just begun to suspect about dinosaurs. So it's going to be, it's going to be a fun study. what I have done in the past in teaching Job, uh, I think was a mistake. What I've often done, because I, it, it, it takes a lot of energy to get through all these discourses, I've just summarized them quickly. And I decided this past, even though I want to still keep this down to like eight sessions total, so we're not going to, you could, you know, we're not going to go a chapter a week like we usually do in the book. That'd be 42 weeks. We're not going to spend 42 weeks in Job. We've got other things to do. But at the same time, I decided this time not to be not just to skim over these, but at least read them through and, and at least get the flavor of them. I, mean, I think we can do that uh, in the, uh, before the next session. By the time we get through the next session, next Tuesday, we will have been through all nine of them because obviously we, as you get the flavor, they're, 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 it's not as if there's some new discovery in each one. We'll just, we'll just hit the highlights. But at least we'll have gone through it verse by verse, which is my goal, to get a flavor of this. Because as you study the book, you'll be, just be alert of fact, you will not be able to find... Uh, theological criticism of the arguments that these three guys levy at Job. They're, they're wrong because they're incomplete. And there's an important lesson there for us, quite apart from the lesson God's teaching us through Job in some other ways. It, uh, it's that, uh, there is a, there is a definite need for a balanced theology. And, uh, there is a term called biblical theology. And Earl Rademacher describes it very well. Biblical theology is what comes after exegesis before systematic theology. Exegesis is when you study the text, what is it really saying, and so forth. Um, uh, biblical theology is the theology that comes from the text. And what you have a tendency to do is build these big systems. Every, th- every seminary does. And uh, that's where you start getting rigid and, 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 uh, and imposing your system on the text rather than hearing what the text says. Very important, very, very, a trap we can all fall into is you want to hear what the text is saying because God is bigger than any of these uh, boxes we try to put him in 
And, uh, and that's one of the other, one of the many lessons out of Job is that's one of the mistakes that Alpha has and Bildad and Zophar are doing. They, they're dealing in their comfortable, comfort of their cliches rather than having gone to the Lord for guidance and rather to really, to, to, uh, understand the agony and the predicament Job finds himself in. And to jump to the conclusion that Job, uh, is, um, uh, 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 his situation is a result of his own sin. That's one of ten possibilities that God sends suffering into our lives for. He does it to train us. He does it to, 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 uh, to uh, teach us more about himself. He does it to glorify his name in many ways. And, and, uh, you remember that? Jesus said that to his disciples. The disciples asked him about the, uh, in that one case, is uh, who did this man sin or his parents because he was blind? He said neither, but to glorify God, because which which was then of course glorified when Jesus heals him. So the point is, uh, we got to be very careful. There's a flip side to this too. There's another form of this error we see in this, and that is that you know, God doesn't want you to be sick. There are major ministries that hammer away the idea that if you're sick, then that's because you don't have enough faith or something, and the the, the uh, Health and wealth types, or the, the, the you know the uh, name it and claim it guys, the blab it and gla- grab it, as some people go. Um, dangerous stuff, dangerous stuff. Because uh, if if you're sick because you have not a faith, then Paul did not have enough faith. Paul was sick, and uh, and God uh, had it that way. And Paul talks about it why it's that way. And so, be careful, be careful. There's some very serious misleading going on by being a little too glib with some of these taking truths and putting them, taking them out of context. Because God does heal, but God is sovereign and He chooses when He does, when He does, what He does, what He does and when He does it. So be careful with that. Uh, anyway, let's, uh, what you can do for your preparation next time, just read through from chapter 15 through about 31. Uh, just uh, get 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 a flavor of the language and uh, the eloquence, and uh, and I'll, I'll save you a lot of effort. I could give you a, a fool's errand and say you know, pick pick out the theological errors in each of the in each of the discourses. If you were in school, that's probably what they teach you would have you do. Because, uh, but you'll discover the, the the reason that's dangerous is because uh, experts have failed to really pick apart the the uh, the elements. Is that when you put those elements together, they're incomplete, and that's the problem. As we serve, we do serve a God of mercy and a God of compassion, and that would seem to be, on the face of it, ignored in these in the predicament of our friend Job, sitting on this ash heap. So we've got some surprises. We have surprises in chapter thirty-one, thirty-two with Elihu. We'll have even bigger surprises when Jehovah jumps in and answers for Job with the science quiz and the rest. And then we'll also have a remarkable surprise at the very end that many people miss. In, in the life of Job. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you for Job. We thank you, Father, for the lessons that are here. Help us, Father, when, when we get confused, when we feel alone and abandoned, when, when everything seems to turn against us. Help us to remember, Father, the lessons of Job. Help us to remember, Father, that you are always in control and that nothing can happen in our lives that you haven't permitted for your purposes, whatever they might be.
We do pray, Father, that you would reveal to each of us our sins, that we might indeed confess our sins and repent of them, that we might have your forgiveness and cleansing that you've committed to and through your word and through your spirit, Father. And yet, Father, we also ask you for discernment. So as we do endure trials of whatever kind, be they health or financial or whatever, we do pray, Father, that the lessons not be wasted, that the lessons that you would have of us that we would partake of and apprehend that that your purposes might be accomplished in each of our lives, Father. And also, Father, when we have loved ones that are going through trials, oh, Father, help us to weep with those that weep and rejoice with them that rejoice. Help us, Father, not to traffic in platitudes, not to force situations into the comfortable little boxes of our theology, but rather to be sensitive to your spirit, Father, so that you might have room to move and magnify your name and show yourself strong and make it clear who really is in charge, Father. We do ask, Father, that you would indeed cleanse us of our sin, that your spirit might be able to use us as your vessels. We do pray, Father, that you would illuminate the path before each of us, that we might know what you'd have of us in the days that come forward, Father. As we commit ourselves in all these things, without any reservations or conditions or caveats, we commit ourselves 100%, completely, into your hands in the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, our mediator, the one that has bridged the gulf between us, Father. For we do pray in his most holy name. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Job. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music